Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Arkley, tech editor at Forbes India. And in these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas, from agriculture and satellite imagery to digital finance and cryptocurrencies. We will also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. Today's guest is a venture capital investor who's been playing uh, a phenomenal role in uh, backing agri-tech startups uh, in India for the last decade. And he's also uh, prolific in terms of spreading the message on the importance of investing in innovation in agri and related sectors in India. And his firm has invested in everything from Internet of Things uh, startups to satellite companies to insurance providers to farmers. Um, Also, as an aside, uh, his personal Twitter feed is very entertaining and uh, instructive, uh, which of course is a different discussion. Uh, so, so meet uh, Mark Khan, co-founding and managing partner of venture capital firm Omniverse. Mark, brilliant to have you uh, here this morning. Uh, so just to get started, uh, tell us a bit about uh, Omniverse. When you started in 2010, what kind of investments were you looking at and you know how have you come along? Sure. So yeah, uh, Omnivore is um, India's leading uh, agri-tech uh, VC. Um, so we are uh, a venture capital firm, uh, early stage, mm. and we're focused on entrepreneurs uh, developing uh, the future of, of, uh, of agriculture and food systems in India. We've, uh, as you said, we've been around for about, uh, you know, about, well, I guess, over a decade now, sometimes hard when you look back and realize that you're just old. Um, but uh, we initially were, um, we got started a decade ago because uh, my co-founder, Janesh, and I um, both came to the, the recognition that if you were an Indian startup and you were focused outside of what was in those days conventional, which in, in those days was urban consumer or um, you know, B2B global SaaS. Mm. You just couldn't get funding. Mm. It was just, you, you, you were just turned away uh, by everyone mm. and no one was interested in backing you. And we thought that that was insane. We thought it was ridiculous for a country where, you know, 25% of the economy is agriculture and agribusiness, where 50% of the population lives on farm, um, that we, we thought the venture ecosystem needed to mirror the, the reality of the Indian economy. And, and both uh, my partner and I came from different perspectives. I, I had been living in India since 2007. Uh, working at the time at Godridge Agrivet, uh, so one of India's largest diversified agribusiness companies. Um, you know, Janesh was at Nexus Venture Partners, really understood the, the, the lay of the land in, in the startup ecosystem at the time. We both saw this glaring challenge, uh, you know, and, and this failure, uh, to fund entrepreneurs trying to transform the real economy. And, um, and we, we got Omnivore started. And that was the, the beginning of our journey. Mm. So you tell us a bit about yourself as well. I mean, uh, uh, you, you're from the U.S., are you? I am from the U.S. Mm. Uh, well, uh, my, my team likes to joke I'm from lots of places. Mm. Um, I have a couple of passports. But, uh, mm. but yeah, I, I grew up in the U.S. Okay. And, and how did you decide on a career in agri-tech uh, in, and later in venture funding in agri-tech in India? 
I never decided the least likely part of my career mm. is the fact that I became a VC. Okay. Like that was that was the part I didn't see coming. Mm. So um, I uh, my my relationship with India is uh, is very 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 long. I grew up in uh, in Texas, um, mm. in Houston, in in basically a large ABCD neighborhood. Mm. Right. Um, so I grew up surrounded uh, by by Indians. I grew up with uh, if anyone if anyone here knows Houston, Hillcroft and Sugarland and these kind of neighborhoods that are overwhelmingly. Um, it, it's kind of like uh, Queens. If Queens had an energy industry, mm. and um, and that was the world that I was that I grew up in. And so I, I visited India before I went to college. Uh, was always really interested. Never thought of it as something I was going to necessarily do with my life, but it was a big part of, of you know, the ecosystem, the, the environment that I grew up in um, and had been to India many, many times before I, uh, I finally decided to, to kind of work, uh, work in India. My first work in India was actually an internship at ITC. Uh-huh. And, um, and that was uh, working, working in their, um, uh, working in their agri uh, vertical. Okay. And, um, then, sure, you know, maybe two years later, I was I was working for Goldridge. So, um, you know, I my my interest in agribusiness um, was pretty much uh, straight out of college. It was uh, an industry that I thought was a fascinating mix of um, large scale businesses tackling social problems that involved the lives of you know tens of millions and hundreds of millions of of people. Um, I, I've been fascinated with agriculture ever since I was a kid. My dad's a country doctor, um, and uh, this was uh, something I guess in my very early twenties I got interested in and started working in, and have worked in ever since. Hmm. The weird part is the VC thing. I I always assumed that I would, you know, remain in agribusiness, you know, go run some large ag companies, and that would be my career. And at some point, you know, I felt uh, when we launched Omnivore, the idea was, let's transform the agricultural ecosystem through innovation. Doesn't Mm. seem like the big companies are really being able to do it. Mm. Doesn't seem like they're really investing in R&D. You know, everything is incremental. Mm. How do we fundamentally shock the system? How do we disrupt it? How do we build a better future? And uh, so I think it was my frustration with a slow-moving status quo that that kind of forced me to go from from operating agribusiness to uh, to where you know where we are today. Hmm. And, and your first fund uh, in 2010, 2011 was about uh, 40 million dollars. And uh, can you talk about uh, you know some of the startups that you uh, found at that time that you invested in? Um. So. My first fund was $35 million, um, and we invested in 13 startups at the time, um, 10 of which are still operating, so we lost a couple along the way, but that's pretty normal in venture. Um, if I were to, to talk about some that you guys might be familiar with, um, uh, Stellaps is pretty well known. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're a bunch of ex-Wipro uh, guys and gals who tried to transform India's dairy industry have done a fantastic job uh, digitizing, kind of building a base layer of information across the dairy sector. They work with almost all of the large private dairies and dairy cooperatives in India. 
around 50,000 uh, villages have been digitized so far mm-hmm. um, with, with collection centers. So they've done a really fantastic job. Um, you know, that's, that's a good example. Um, another is Mitra, which was uh, eventually acquired by Mahindra. Uh, Mitra makes precision was founded by um, a guy named Dave Bajaj, who later on joined Kalari and now is the head of investments at Dream Eleven. So uh, not necessarily what you think of as an agritech entrepreneur, but that was his first incarnation. And um, he built a business making um, automatic precision sprayers mm. uh, that allowed farmers to, um, re- you know, reduce their usage of pesticide by half. And uh, and now it's and now it's effectively the sprayer division of Mahindra. Uh, we backed an IoT company called Eruvaka, focused on the aquaculture sector. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I, I always say I was the first VC to ever do a deal in Vijayvada. Mm-hmm. And um, and and that company has become really global and sizable. And ninety percent of their sales are outside of India. Um, it's it's kind of the the dream of make in India, right? So you've got you've got a company that's employing people in coastal Andhra, mm-hmm. where the products are actually ninety percent being exported to Latin America and Southeast Asia mm-hmm. uh, for use in aquaculture farms. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it the, the the first fund um, has done well. It was a really you know not everything went well to be clear. Um, but I think if I if I looked at what we invested in in those days, and in those days I mean in 2012, 13, 14, 15, 16, kind of the the years that we were investing uh, the first fund in New Deals, um, the uh, you know the fund was largely deployed along three themes. I think one theme was innovative hardware for farmers. I think another theme was food processing, um, and a third theme was you know. B2B digitization, because in those days, direct-to-farm digitization was simply not possible. Mm. Um, so if you wanted to do something that was digital, you had to create, you, you could go B2B to F, business to business to farmer. Um, you know, you had to go to a corporate or a cooperative, sign them up. They would give you access to their farmers. That was how you could do it. There was no way to go direct. Mm. And I think what's so different now is, you know, after many, many years I would say starting in 2018, 19, 20, 21, if you look at, at the deals that we've done, um, a lot of it is now direct to farmer, right? Mm-hmm. It's farmers with smartphones. It's, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's ubiquitous 4G. It's geo. It's this mm-hmm. world that we're in right now where you can actually directly reach, uh, directly reach a farmer. And, mm-hmm. um, and so the possibilities now are the possibilities to build larger businesses are much greater. And now we're seeing many more platforms and marketplaces with embedded fintech and the ability to much more full staff models going at sectors. Mm. And so that's that's changed quite a bit. Mm. And and you raised your second fund in 2019, almost a hundred million dollars. Uh, so can you talk about some of the newer companies that you've invested in? Sure. Um, yeah, we raised our second fund in 2018, 2019. First close was 18, final 19. Um, you know, some of the, the deals we've done, uh, one of the best known is Dehat, which is the largest integrated full-stack farmer platform mm. in India. We invested in 2019. Sequoia came in a year later. Mm. Now NASPERS and RTP have come in and it's mm. really scaled massively. Uh, we've invested, we invested um, 
you know, about a year ago, uh, well, okay, less than a year ago, into Animal, which is a, f- a platform for dairy farmers that are helping dairy farmers trade cattle. Mm. Really amazing founding team. Um, two two women who, who grew up in rural North India met at IIT Delhi. Uh, one of them was was ex product uh, product manager, and they and they built this business um, in, in you know trying to transform the world that they that they had known as children. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nithu Yadav's father is a small dairy farmer in Rajasthan. Mm-hmm. So um, it's uh, it's 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 amazing what they're doing. Um, we've backed Resha Mandi, which is working in India's silk sector. Mm-hmm. Uh, did the deal together with uh, with Strive. Um, very, very recently, and um, you know, India. A lot of people don't even realize it, but when we talk about India with its 130 million farmers, well, six or seven million of them are silk farmers, wow. and India has about a seven billion dollar silk industry, mm. and it, it has zero digitization, zero integration, and and Reshamandi is really the first player to to say, hey, this is big enough to go tackle and mm. and try to transform this whole sector. You know, what if we what if we went all the way from the inputs to farmers all the way to the silk retailer and, you know, and try to make this whole thing work better? Mm. What what are some of the sort of biggest problems that you found identified in the Indian agricultural scene and the farming scene where you feel startups can make a difference? I mean, look, startups can make a difference in so many different ways. It's it's hard to say, but I would generalize it along kind of four pillars that that we think of at Omnivore as sort of our theory of change. Mm-hmm. One pillar is radically increasing the profitability of farmers. Uh-huh. Right. One of the challenges that we have in India is that farming profitability has declined in major ways over time. It's simply, you know less and less of an existence that a farmer can eke out on increasingly, you know, small holding, mm. uh, you know, small holding of land. And so what we need to do is, is not just everyone always talks about, oh, you know, we could produce twice as much, right? You know, let's get yields up. Boss, where are you going to sell that? Like, do you, do you see us drowning in, in, you know, let's, let's just imagine for a second that like we, we doubled India's tomato yields, the streets of rural Bharat would be like paved in tomato sauce. There's nowhere that surplus can go, mm. right? There's there's nothing you can do with it. We don't have the export markets for it. We don't. You're not going to double domestic tomato consumption. And so, a lot of what needs to happen is right is is not just improving yields, but improving. Right, but but changing the profitability, the incomes of farmers. Mm. Right, we need to work on, and there are many ways to do that. Right, yield is part of it, but also improving terms of trade, also mm. reducing co- you know input costs, also reducing costs of finance. There are many different ways to solve the, the the challenge of profitability, and we're trying. And the portfolio companies that that we work with are, are working on all of them. Uh, similarly, another major task is resilience. Part of what makes being a farmer so freaking awful. Okay, and, and, and don't ever have any rural illusions about it being wonderful, right? You you can meet wealthy quasi zamindari farmers, okay, from you know hyper irrigated parts of of uh, of Maharashtra, growing fantastically profitable crops like bananas, okay, 
if you if you gave me a choice, but you know, if you if you're a uh, coming out of uh, you know IIMs and you have a choice between you know a job at McKinsey or twenty hectares in Jalgaon, take the second deal every time. Okay, you will never want for money, but. The reality of that existence is even those farmers don't want their children to stay in agriculture. And if you ask them why, what they will tell you again and again is the variability from year to year is so high, it is so stressful that it, it's just not worth it. They want jobs for their kids. They want government jobs for their kids or bank jobs for their kids or anything other than the stress of these swinging incomes of annual agriculture. Mm. And so as a result um, – you know, the second challenge that we often uh, point out is this issue of resilience. How do we make farmers more resilient? How do we make their incomes more stable? How do we connect them into value chains so they're not being ripped off, right, by Arthias at every turn? How do we, you know, get them uh, insurance? How do we get them emergency lending so that they're, you know, they're not so terrified from year to year about what's going to happen, hmm. right? So that's a second Third area is agricultural sustainability, right? I think everyone understands that this is a major challenge in India. We are using up our entire water supply. Uh, you know, almost all of the water in the country goes into agriculture. Um, and sometimes that makes sense. And sometimes, you know, if I think about our sugar industry, where we're the world's second largest sugar producer, we are effectively taking our scarcest natural resource and converting it into diabetes. Um, but... But if I ever disappear, the, it's a sugar mafia did it. Um, so, you know, that's that's a challenge. There's a challenge of food waste. There's a challenge of soil depletion. There's a challenge of, you know, the overuse of, of pesticides. Pesticides and, and crop protection is a good thing. But the same way that every Indian pediatrician hands out antibiotics like the freaking candy, okay, um, farmers – and agri-dealers are indiscriminately using pesticides in ways that are not sustainable and, you know, creating real challenges because of pesticide resistance, including, you know, super weeds and, and, and you know, increasing resistance across, you know, among groups of insects. And so, and, and for that matter, poisoning farmers. So, you know, there's a huge challenge in sustainability and good companies, there are good pesticide companies and they're trying to avoid that and trying to produce more, more sustainable things. But that's a huge challenge. And then we finally, we have the challenge of kind of climate action, right? So, so India is at the front lines of climate change, hmm. right? So first of all, our agricultural sector generates 20% of India's climate footprint, so we're, you know, we certainly need to look at the issue of mitigation. If we're going to tackle India's climate footprint as a fifth, that's a good place to start. Um, but the flip side is also around, you know, the fact that as things get hotter, as weather gets more variable, our agricultural sector is vulnerable, very vulnerable, right? If you want to think about a climate-changed world 50 years from now, well, Canada and Russia have it pretty good we're screwed hmm. right if you're russia you're like yeah it's all right i'm growing wheat in siberia this is awesome you know if it's 45 degrees for months on end for us and you can barely work outside it's you know we're talking blade runner levels of dystopia so um climate is, is definitely the fourth theme that we're working on so you know if indian startups are looking at stuff to tackle well, there's enough i promise Hmm. Hmm. 
And uh, do you see them also being able to, uh, you know, be viable companies, you know, commercially with these solutions? I, I guess. I mean, if you're delivering value to farmers, most certainly. Mm. Um, you know, I would say in general, if you look at the, the agri-tech startup scene, you know, it's not like everything is subsidized. There aren't discounts everywhere. It's actually the unit economics are, I think, a lot better than much of what, you know, what happened in the Indian consumer economy over the last decade. Mm. Mm. So when you started out, you said you wanted to kind of jumpstart innovation uh, in the agri-sector in India. Uh, so tell us a little bit about how you went about doing it. What kind of experts did you need to hire to build the Omnivore team? Um, yeah, I mean, look, our, we wanted to be a very different kind of venture fund. Um, and, and, and we built ourselves accordingly. Most everyone on the team in Omnivore comes from, you know, an agri background, mm. right? Which is very different from, from what you find in most normal VCs where, you know, people are, might be from digital backgrounds or from investment banking or God forbid McKinsey, uh, or certainly a lot of those, um, you know, our, our team is really from the sector, right? So I come from Goldridge Agrovet and Syngenta. Um, Shubhadeep is ex-Mahindra, and I am a, and originally an agronomist from, you know, Haryana Agricultural University. Um, Rehim, who runs our, our Chennai office, is an agricultural economist, ex-UN IFAD, International Fund for Agricultural Development. Uh, Abhilash, uh, who's in Bangalore, helped to set up uh, Mahindra's precision ag business. Naga, who's a venture partner, uh, used to, his last job after this, uh, before this, was, was managing director of Mother Dairy for seven years. Um, so what you get when you get omnivore, for better or worse, is a bunch of people that really understand agriculture and food in India and are globally connected in, in the agribusiness ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the value that we add. We we understand how to build in this space. We understand what the customers needs. Um, we're not the entrepreneur, but we can add a lot more value to the entrepreneur than than generalists. And we love to partner with generalists. Generalists bring a huge amount of value because of their expertise in things like fintech or platforms or marketplaces or with respect to to our understanding of farmers, agribusiness, and and rural India. Mm-hmm. And, and give us a sense of uh, you know what you've been able to achieve over the last uh, ten years. I mean, look, there are probably north of ten million farmers that have been connected at, in some way, shape, or form with omnivore portfolio companies. Um, like I said, in Fund One, a lot of that was. B to B to F, business to business to farmer. So the degree of impact, the wide impact. You know, but the actual per farmer impact was was still relatively small. What we're seeing in Fund Two, as um, you know, as we have these more full stack marketplaces and platforms, embedded fintech, and all the themes that we can achieve now, the impacts are huge, right? Farmers, you know, the, the five lakh farmers on uh, on Dehat are seeing income gains of, of north of fifty percent, mm. and and so. Um, we really think that, that this coming decade is the decade for agritech and that we're going to see a massive change in, in the world that, that Indian farmers operate in. Mm. So, so Dehat is a good example. Uh, and I also wanted to ask you to kind of drill down into one or two startups in terms of how they've been able to make a difference for uh, farmers. So let's take Dehat first and tell us a bit about uh, 
what they do and how that helps. So uh, Dehot is a full stack farmer platform. So they are working in UP, Bihar, Charkand, um, and Orissa, and are working with, like I said, about now north of five lakh farmers. They work across the value chain. So they work on inputs. They work on market linkage, they work on advisory, and they work on embedded fintech. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Okay, so let's take a tip, an archetypal Bihari farmer. Okay, uh, call him Jagmohan. Okay, so Jagmohan in you know in 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 rural Bihar, Purnia, right? Um, what is his life like? Well, on one side, it's you know it's not great. Right, he is in debt up to his eyeballia in the village where where he lives, whose family has effectively controlled his family's destiny for I would say decades, but probably millennia would be fair. Right, um, he gets his inputs from you know from a dealer that um, sells him whatever they make margin on, as opposed to necessarily what are the optimal inputs for that farmer. Um, his cost of finance is astronomical, right? Two to three percent per month, and the local, you know, the local banya, the artia that that they sell their crops to, right, is generally speaking not giving them the best price. And all through this, the advice that they're getting is not optimizing their profits, but rather the margins of the input dealer. Hmm. And so what Dehat tries to do is come in and initially start with the market linkage and say, hey, stop selling to the local guy. Sell to me. I will sell directly to food processors, directly to exporters. We'll get you a better price, right? That's immediately a gain for that farmer. Hmm. And when that farmer understands that working with Dehat is better, um, then we start selling inputs to them. Only the highest quality inputs, none, you know, no spurious product, no stuff purely for margin. Um, we add advisory, you know, the Dehat team adds fantastic farmer advisory to that and is now bringing institutional finance so the farmer can, you know, borrow at 12% per year, like 1% per month. Hmm. Um, and, and access, you know, there's a tremendous amount of institutional finance that is available if farmers can only access it. Hmm. And and so the, the game is to break the farm of making much more money. Hmm. Okay, give us one more example, a different kind of startup that you've invested in. Sure, um, you know a different uh, a, a different startup we've invested in is Aria. Um, Aria is a fantastic team. Um, they all came out of the commodity finance department at ICICI Bank. Uh, really, really strong backgrounds in rural finance. They've built out the largest network of farm-level uh, village warehouses across India. And any farmer in India can go and go to those warehouses, access high-quality, low-cost storage for their crops so they don't have to sell right at the point of harvest when, when prices are at their lowest. But then you'll say, but no, but, but they have to, right? They, they can't afford to. And and the trick here is that they, they embed um, financing with that. So if you go to an Aria warehouse and let's say you have generously, you know, five uh, five tons of maize, you can store that maize, and that same day you can get a seventy percent loan to value on that maize. So you then have money to pay your at a at a very fair uh, rate of interest, and then you have money to pay your household expenses, um, and you can then store that maize for. 
a month, two months, three months, and sell it when prices are high as opposed to at at the absolute bottom, which is where where prices are at the time of harvest. Mm -hmm. Okay, brilliant. So uh, uh, let's step back a little bit and. Uh, you talked about innovation in the beginning, and you also mentioned the four broad pillars uh, that affect the farmers. So, uh, in, in Indian agriculture and farming, how does India compare in terms of applying science and data and, and, and innovation to agriculture and farming? Compared to what? Compared, compared with other economies which are doing, you know, whichever are the best economies in terms of using science in agriculture. Look, I think... Um Let's give some credit where credit is due. Um, if I look at the Indian seed sector, the varieties being used in India are pretty good, mm. right? Is it the best in the world? Um, maybe not, but reasonably great. I mean, and, and that's not just, you know, multinational seed varieties. But, you know, if, if I were to then say, what is the overall package of practices? Yeah, there's a lot that could be improved, uh, especially in areas of irrigation, in mechanization, in the agronomy of planting, uh, in post-harvest treatments. Yeah, there's there's a huge amount that can be done to improve things. And people are working very hard at that. And not just startups, but also the public sector, state agricultural universities, um, ICAR, the Indian Council for Agricultural Research. Like, I'm not going to just uh, shit all over the status quo and, and act like, you know, only agri-tech startups are making it better. There are a lot of people that are working very hard to make it better. And there's a hell of a lot that needs to be done. Um, but how do we fare globally? Not great. Um, there's a lot of improvement that can happen. But, you know, we have a much more difficult operating environment than a lot of those places. It's a hell of a lot easier to do agricultural extension when the average farm size is, you know, 200 acres or even 20 acres, unlike ours, where it's three acres. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I think I think in general, India does better than, than, than a lot of people realize, but there is a lot of improvement that is required. Hmm. So, so what's a good metric? Is uh, per, per acre productivity, is that a good metric to compare India with others? How's that? It's an okay metric. It doesn't tell the whole story and it doesn't, and I think it leads to some adverse logic with respect to the path forward. Again, Right, my, my streets paved in tomato paste example. Mm. Just because our tomato yields are half of global averages doesn't mean we should double our tomato yields, mm. right? Um, unless we have marketable surplus, mm. right? Unless we have markets for that, unless we can do processing, value addition, and exports, mm. then doubling our tomato yields doesn't actually solve anything. Mm. Okay, so going back to the startups. What are the sort of biggest challenges uh, that the agri-tech startups in India face? Are they uh, general ones like the other startups or are there any specific challenges that the agri-tech startups face in India? I would say it's, it's, it, it's many of them are very similar to, to other startups, right? It's about finding product market fit. Hmm. It's about raising money. It's about, you know, lowering your cost of customer acquisition. It's about increasing the lifetime value of your customer. The difference is that, you know, rural smartphone penetration in India is 30%, 35% right now. Mm. Um, so, you know, I would say farmer smartphone penetration is, is, is 25, 30%. Overall rural smartphone penetration, farmer and non-farmer might be getting to about 40. So you're dealing in a more difficult environment. And, um, you by, if I think about Dehat, Dehat does not assume that everyone has a smartphone. Dehat um, 
you know, assumes that they can set up a Dahat center staffed by, you know, a young, a young man, uh, in, you know, in his twenties or thirties that has a smartphone and a two wheeler, right. And, and some university education and that that person can become the digital hub for their village, Hmm. right? We call that VLE, village level entrepreneur. Um, so it's a VLE based kind of uh, approach to business. Hmm. But, you know, many of the challenges faced by agrotech startups are, are, you know, no different from any other startup in the country, just in a different rural context. Hmm. Okay, let's start wrapping this up, bringing it back to Omnivore, a couple of questions. Uh, you're uh, investing from your second fund, probably uh, at some point you look at a third fund uh, in the near future. That is uh, the plan. How? So, uh, I mean, you are a venture capital firm. Uh, so, have you been able to find some good exits from your first fund? We have. We've we've done two strategic exits from our first fund. We've done two secondary exits, uh, partial, but now we'll go for full ones. Um, yeah, I mean, it it's been okay. It's you know, um, our first fund was thirty five million, which is very different than having three hundred and fifty million. You can turn thirty five million into you know a hundred million much easier. So um, thankfully, uh, yeah, we're, we're well on our way there uh, to, to good returns. And our second fund is performing absolutely brilliantly. So hmm, hmm. so, so, kind of the last standard question is, uh, what are the next big steps at uh, Omnivore? I mean, there's a third fund coming, you said. So what will be the next important steps? We're, we're, planning, we're planning to raise about $150 million as a third fund. We're going to start... Uh, at the tail end of this calendar year, but mostly raising it in 2022, um, looking to you know continue help building this ecosystem and backing entrepreneurs in this space and transforming Indian agriculture and food systems. So, so that is uh, Mark Khan, uh, founding and managing partner of uh, Omnivore Venture Capital, which is backing agri-tech startups in India. Next week, I'll be back uh, with an entrepreneur who's building a modern digital bank in India, which be an interesting conversation. Until then, wherever you're listening to us, I hope you're staying safe and doing well. Mansweeni Kaushik is our producer, and I'm Hari Arakli. Uh, thank you for your support. As always, do share us, uh, which means, which helps us keep going. Have a good Friday and a good weekend ahead.